so glad to uh, see everyone here this morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, I saw some debris on the stage a little bit earlier. I was kind of worried there. I thought maybe I'd preach over here, but um, I think they're going to stay up there. So, well, everyone's doing well. It's it's warmer outside, which is yeah, isn't that great? I mean, this is the weather that I've been waiting for. But you know, I was thinking about this this past week that it's always warm in here. Regardless of the temperature outside, it's warm in here, friends, and it's because of the community that we're building here at Hope Church. It's the genuine love that we have for each other that makes this such a warm place. And it it, it warms my heart. It really does to see the love and to see the way that we're caring for each other. You know, it's our mission statement, and, and we're living it out. It's a command from God, right? And we're living it out, and it just, it just warms my heart. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Now, if you remember, last week I shared with you guys a little bit about my formative years. And I admitted to you all, you know, that I had just sort of glided through my four years of high school, just doing the bare minimum to get by. I confess that I had never really cracked a textbook per se, and that's honest. At the end of the school year, when it was time to turn in the books, teachers would look at me and say, hmm, it looks like this book has never been opened. And by and large, that was true. But you know, I got by, and I got Good enough grades, just good enough to keep everyone off my back. My parents are here this morning. They will affirm the fact that I did not put all of my effort into my high school years. But I got by. See, I went to class. Yeah, they're gonna, they'll tell you. Actually, don't talk to them because they'll probably tell you a lot more. But I got by because I went to class. I went to class often. Okay, I went to class most of the time. All right, I went to class some of the time. But I was able to absorb enough information and regurgitate that on test day to get by. I was a good test taker. I was a good test taker. I really was. So I got by. I looked at the books that I was given to study, and I thought, what do I need these for? I mean, Shakespeare? Come on, you can barely understand half of what he says. And then things like chemistry, algebra, geometry. Am I ever, in the rest of my born days, going to use this stuff? See, what I didn't realize at the time is that these are the building blocks of an education. But I didn't care because I didn't need an education. What do I need an education for? I'm fine. I'm just having a good time. It was only later in life, and I shared this with you guys last week, that I came to the realization that I needed to learn something. Whether it was an education or some marketable skill that someone was willing to pay me money to do, I had to learn something.
Now, when I share with you my thoughts about textbooks, you ever thought that about the Bible? You think, you know, what do I need this for? Do I really need to know the genealogy of mankind all the way from Adam to Moses to Jesus? Do I need to know that? And all these, all these stories from thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, what's the point? Do I really need that? I mean, I can hear that stuff in church, right? Because I go to church. I go to church often. Well, I, I sometimes go to church. But that's enough, isn't it? That's enough just to get by, right? That kind of keeps God off my back. That punches my ticket for heaven, right? See, what people think is just that. There's a lot of people that think that the Bible is there, yeah, but it's just for show, right? It's a family Bible. We put it out. We never open it. And when it comes time to turn that into the master, does he say, hmm, looks like you've never opened this. Well, this is our fifth message in a series of messages on the Word of God. And it has been my prayer that we would be growing in our understanding of just how precious and just how important this book is. Friends, the God of creation has revealed himself to us through this written word. And I can guarantee you that he did not give this to us so we could merely adorn our coffee tables. No. This book is meant to be used. It's meant to be read. Now we know through our study to this point that this is the holy and inspired word from God. It is complete as we see it before us today. And we know it has the power and authority as words spoken directly from the mouth of God. And last week, we learned that our Bibles speak to us with clarity that is unrivaled in any other book. The Bible is clear in its teaching. As long as you read it, right? You got to read it. And you got to read it asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in to the truth of the words that we read. But then we live it, right? And we not only obey it, but the power transforms us. It changes us. And we're different. And then, of course, we have to go out and share it, right? We share the gospel with the rest of the world. This morning... We're going to investigate the necessity of Scripture. Do we really need the Word of God? And for what purposes are the Bible necessary? Now, last week, we finished with a passage from Romans chapter 10. And I want to revisit that passage because it really makes clear our first point for this morning, and that is the Bible is necessary for knowledge of the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Consequently, as we drop down to verse 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And what Paul is doing here is he's making an argument. I love the way Paul does this. He writes this very often. He writes this, he makes arguments, but the arguments are very cogent, and they make perfect sense. And he begins here with the correct assumption that one needs to call on the name of Jesus to be saved. It follows, then, that one can only call on Christ if they believe in him. He then reasons that people cannot call on the name of someone whom, of whom they've never heard. And, of course, they cannot hear unless someone is there to tell them about Christ. Paul writes here about the preaching of the gospel. Now, I just want to make a quick comment here about preaching of the gospel, because this word here from Paul, that's not just meant for preachers in the formal sense of the word. Yes, it is important for folks like myself that do preach on Sunday mornings, but make no mistake, friends, what we must understand is that we are all, we are all preachers of the gospel. The way we live our lives preaches about what we believe. In particular, what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about the Bible. We're all preachers in that sense of the word, and we all preach some kind of gospel by our actions. That being said, Paul's conclusion here is saving faith, true salvation, comes by hearing. And the message is heard through the word of God about Christ, the truth about his life, the truth about his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And make no mistake, it's all about the day that he's coming again. Friends, the only way, the only way that we know the truth about all this is through the word of God. It's through the Bible. Quite honestly, this is only one of many passages that tell us that eternal salvation comes through belief in Jesus Christ. John 3.18 tells us, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What about the words of Jesus himself from John chapter 14? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Friends, there is no question that these are words that we need to hear. They are necessary for our salvation. And, and I must 
comment, in light of our discussion from last week, very, very clear in their teaching. It's clear. And it's necessary. And where else are we going to hear about this? Where else are we going to hear about the truth except through the words from God himself? God's revelation to us. The revelation that we find only in the Bible. Very important. The Bible is necessary to have a correct knowledge of the gospel. We also see that the Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 4, and this is taken from a passage that we referenced briefly last week, where Jesus is led into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. And as he's being tempted by Satan, he quotes Deuteronomy 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 3. And he says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is saying here is that our spiritual lives depend on daily nourishment from the Word of God. Just like our physical bodies require nourishment from physical food in order to function and to thrive, it's necessary to feed ourselves with Scripture in order to maintain our lives spiritually. I mean, what would happen if you stopped eating physical food? Yeah, you might be okay for a little while, right? But eventually, you're going to start wasting away. And then what happens? You die. You are physically dead. Friends, the same is true for your spiritual life. If you stop feeding on and devouring the words of God, well, you might be okay for a little while. But eventually, it's going to catch up with you. You're going to grow weak. And you're no longer going to be able to fight the spiritual battles that you face. And the end result of that is going to be spiritual death. We need these words from God for our spiritual lives. Moses told the nation of Israel, and of course he's speaking to us today, right? Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 32, they meaning the words of God, the words that we find in the Bible, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. These words are necessary for maintaining our spiritual life. Not only maintaining spiritual life, but they're necessary for spiritual growth. Peter encourages us in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now I want us to understand here that when Peter says newborn babies, he's not just speaking to those who are new in the faith. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to everyone. He's talking to all believers. He says, like newborn babies. And if you've ever seen a hungry newborn with a bottle, I mean, they're going at it, right? They're hungry. And he says, crave or desire like that. 
like a hungry newborn with a bottle. And the original Greek word here is actually much stronger than our English words. It's the same Greek word that we see in Psalm 42 in the Septuagint. Oh, we learned about that, didn't we? Septuagint. What's the Septuagint? Anybody want to take a shot at it? It's the first Greek translation of the original Hebrew Old Testament. Right? Old Testament written in Hebrew around 300 B.C. was translated to Greek, and that's what became the Septuagint. So it's the Greek translation. And what we see in the Greek translation of Psalm 42, it says, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul, my soul pants for you, my God. There's this, this, this deep longing, this, this, this craving. It's, it's a need. It's a need. We need this. And that's the kind of desire that we as believers should have for the Word of God. And of course, when Peter talks about this pure spiritual milk, what he's referring to, as we learn in the context of the passage, he's speaking of the Word of God. He's speaking of the Scriptures. He's speaking of our Bible. It's this pure spiritual milk that's going to cause us to grow spiritually. And isn't that what the Christian life is all about? Isn't it all about growing, right? Growing in knowledge, growing spiritually, growing and becoming more and more like Christ. The process of sanctification, right? Exhibiting more and more Christ-like characteristics and behaviors. That's our goal in this life. And sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Sanctification causes us to become more and more like Christ. It transforms us. And it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the truth of Scripture. So friends, the Bible is absolutely necessary for maintaining our spiritual lives, but it's also necessary for growing up in our spiritual lives. Another reason that the Bible is a necessity in our lives is that it imparts knowledge of God's will. Now, we could argue that there can be something known of God's will apart from the Word. That's absolutely true. We've learned in previous studies that some of God's will is written on our hearts. Some of His will is written on our consciences. It's ingrained in us apart from the Word. Peter talks about, or Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2. There he writes, When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. So that's the nature of this, this moral compass that's built into us. But it's flawed, right? It's flawed. And the problem with that kind of knowledge is that it's indistinct. It's indistinct, and it, and it can be uncertain. And our propensity to sin and this fallen world that we live in skews our perception of what is right 
and what is wrong. In God's word, however, in his word, we see clear and definite statements about God's will. Now, he hasn't revealed all things to us, but he's revealed enough for us to know his will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us the secret things, in other words, the things that God has not revealed to us, and there are some of those, but the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. That's the key right there. That's the key. God has given us his word that we might obey his law and thereby do his will. And obeying God's commands and doing his will. Friends, that's how we live a blessed life, right? That's how we live a blessed life. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 teaches us, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, does not follow our natural desires, right? But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Friends, blessed is the person who delights and meditates on the law, on the word of God. Now, I just want to take one second to talk about what it means to be blessed. See, this Hebrew word here that we see in Psalm 1, it doesn't mean necessarily what we might think of in this modern era. You know, these days we think of being blessed as um, having lots of stuff, right? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I have lots of money. I'm blessed. I'm rich, right? But that's not what this Hebrew word is talking about. It has nothing to do with money or possessions. What it speaks to is happiness or, or more accurately, contentment. But contentment, friends, contentment in the life of one who is right with God. That's what it means to be blessed, to be right with your Creator. Jesus used a similar word in Matthew chapter 5 where we find his Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, Jesus uses this phrase, blessed are, nine times. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, etc., etc. And what those nine statements that follow, what he's doing is he's summarizing the nature of life in the kingdom of God. But again, but again, the word that Jesus uses here and that Matthew translates into the Greek Makarios describes contentment. Contentment in being reconciled to God. This is how Barclay puts it in his commentary. He says, it is that joy which has its secret within itself. That joy which is serene and untouchable and self-contained. That joy which is completely independent of all the chances and changes of life has nothing to do with your situation physically. That contentment and joy is only found in a right relationship with the God of creation. And the only way, friends, the only way, and the Bible is clear about this, 
The only way to be reconciled to that God is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is his death and resurrection. The Messiah prophesied about the, in, in the Old Testament and realized in Jesus Christ that is the only way that we know with certainty that we're reconciled. And the only way we know that is through the Word of God. It's the only way we know it. So is the Word of God necessary? Do we need the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely we need it. You know, without it, we may know something of the existence of God, right? Because God does reveal himself to a certain degree in creation. And we may know something about his attributes by looking at the world around us. You know, David says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In creation, we see evidence of God and his power and his glory and his majesty. You know, Paul says in Acts 14, God did not leave us without witness to his existence. We can't see it. Look around. You can't look at the world around you and say there is no God. I, I, I can't get there. I cannot get there. And quite honestly, as we talked about earlier, without the Bible, we may know something of his moral law. We may know something of that. Because there is that moral compass that's built into us. But it's flawed. It's flawed by our sinful nature. But the mystery, the mystery of how a holy and just God can be reconciled to his creation, how he could be willing to forgive sins against him, cannot be explained apart from the Bible. The truth of the gospel cannot be known or discovered without the word of God. This book is the story of God's plan of redemption for a lost world. It's his plan for you and for me. The great wonder that we cannot discover on our own apart from the word is that God himself has made the way of salvation by sending his one and only son to bear the wrath and pay the penalty for our sins, a price that we could not pay. And you know, we look forward with great anticipation to the day that he returns. Judgment day, right? The day of the Lord. We look forward to that. Amen. We look forward to that. Listen to how Paul describes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. Friends, there is our hope. There is the promise from God. Jesus himself comforted his disciples, and he comforts us today with these words from John chapter 4. He says, do not let 
your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Oh, isn't there comfort in that? Isn't there comfort in that? Such comfort to know that, that, that no matter what happens in this world, wars, rumors of wars, political upheaval, social unrest, natural disasters, a global pandemic, and no matter what happens in each one of our individual lives, whether it's unemployment, sickness, family problems, death, no matter, these words are from the God of creation and they comfort us and assure us of our eternal destiny for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel in this book, in this book. Paul, after describing Christ's return in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, he says this, he says, Therefore, in other words, because of these great promises that we have, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And friends, I just want to encourage all of us today. These are words of great encouragement. And we wouldn't have them if it wasn't for the Word of God. Do we need this book? Yes, it is necessary. The Bible is necessary to know of salvation, to grow spiritually, and to understand God's will for your life. And, friends, it is our hope for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just praise you, Lord, and we thank you so much. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your holy and inspired word. It is clear, it is necessary for our salvation, it's necessary for our lives, and Lord, it is necessary to have a hope for all eternity. We thank you so much, Lord, that you sent your son to die that we might have that hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.